One of the great cataclysmic events in history occurred at the flood when God in judgment opened up the ground underneath it says the wells of the water and the firmament which was full of water and for 40 days and 40 nights it rained and the fountains of the deep opened up and water covered the whole earth a time when God brought judgment upon his creation because they had rejected him and rebelled against him and had committed grievous sin and he grieved and sorrowed over them and he brought judgment to them he did spare one family Noah and his wife three children and their wives so all told there were eight people in the ark that God preserved along with many animals when the waters of the flood subsided God brought them forth out of the ark onto somewhat new soil and they began to resume their normal activities upon the earth the section of scripture that we read a few moments ago we will examine because it describes these first events after they came out of the ark and we find recorded in Genesis 9 verses 18 to 23 I'll read them again for us to help us uh, focus upon these events as they occurred and as recorded in scripture the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth it only names the three sons does not name their wives Ham was the father of Canaan these three were the sons of Noah and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent and Ham the father, the, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside then Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness it describes Noah beginning to be a farmer now many of us understand farming we have some notion of it uh, we grew up on farms maybe even farmed ourselves some of you may be even farmed Noah began to be a farmer only instead of growing wheat or grains he planted a vineyard and wanted to have a vineyard that would provide grapes well one of the things that you can get from fruit and especially grapes is juice we like juice don't we especially grape juice it has a nice flavor to it well if you let it set for very long and I suppose even if you add some various ingredients to it it will ferment and in the process of fermentation it produces alcohol well, Noah perhaps didn't know that I don't know it doesn't tell us but Noah enjoyed the fruit 
of his vineyard. And he made juice into wine and he drank it. And either in his ignorance or his exuberance, we don't know which, he drank too much. And he became intoxicated. It is just like Noah. It has become a common practice in our day to drink uh, excessively alcoholic beverages of various kinds, either in celebration or sadness. That's true, Bob. It has become a, a common practice in our day. And what happened to Noah has also become a common practice in our day. It led to nakedness. And Noah, not knowing what he was doing, uncovered himself and in his drunken stupor he laid down in his tent without any clothes and without any covering. Now had he been all by himself, that might not have presented a problem. The problem occurred when his youngest son came into the tent and observed his father lying on the floor of the tent, uncovered. Now, it would even, I think, be mainly true in our day that that is an unwritten rule. Now, Scripture speaks very clearly to it, but even in common society, we usually frown on children observing the nakedness of their father or mother. And we take great steps to prevent that from occurring. And especially if it occurs by accident or in some fashion that we didn't plan on, we don't run around and boast, but oh, you know what I did? You know, I surprised Dad and he was not dressed. No, we don't do that. That's, that's kind of a personal and a private thing. Not so with him. The youngest son of Noah came into the tent and noticed him without any clothing on. And it says the first thing he did is he went out and told the other boys, his brothers, guess what I saw? Showing grave disrespect for his father. And dishonored him in his behavior towards his father when he should have protected him. Upon observing his condition, he should have taken steps to cover him without uh, causing a problem, and certainly without broadcasting it to the brothers. And then we read, Noah woke up. He woke up to notice that he had been covered and clothed. The two other brothers had come in after Ham had told them and reported to them what he had observed. and They came in backing in so as not to observe their father and to maintain his dignity and his privacy. And they covered him as good sons should do and would do. But when Noah awoke and noticed the covering on himself, somehow he discovered what had happened. Because it says he, did, he discovered what Ham had done. How he had observed him and had gone out and told the brothers. We read now what Noah responded to his sons 
and how he reacted to the different treatments that they gave to him. We start in verse number 24, Genesis 9. We read, When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, we were told earlier in the passage that Canaan was the son of Ham. It's interesting that Noah chose to curse the son and not Ham. We don't know why he did that. The scriptures don't describe for us in any way why he did that. And people have speculated as to the reason, and it doesn't really too much matter the reason why he chose Ham. He chose Ham. And he cursed his son. And I think those of us who have children understand the unique position our children have in our lives. And to see any of our children hurt or suffer or go through difficulty, what distress that brings to us as a parent. So certainly Noah's cursing the son of Ham must have brought great shame and pain and sorrow to Ham. Well, we read through the rest of the passage that three times the author of this passage identifies the curse that Noah put upon Canaan. He'll be a slave, he'll be a slave, he'll be a servant. And it describes him as a servant of servants. That phrase was used to describe someone who did the lowest of the most menial kinds of work. We know there are slaves and then there are slaves and there are workers and we have different designations for people. This designates someone of the lowest of the low. Canaan shall be a servant of servants. Lower than just a servant. One who does the most menial and onerous of tasks as a punishment upon him for his disrespect and dishonor for his father. Then we read that Noah blessed his other two sons. Let's read the blessing that he gave to the other two sons. In verse 26 we read, He meaning Noah, also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. We'll take the blessing upon Japheth first, because that's the shortest one. Noah blessed his son Japheth, and he prayed that God would enlarge him. I don't think that means that he would become large in size, in stature, but that God would bless him, would enlarge his family, would enlarge his, his occupation if he became a farmer or whatever was the occupation that he chose to pursue, that God would enlarge it, would bless it, would multiply it, make it fruitful. Because he showed respect and honor for his father, Noah. 
Notice that it also says that Canaan would be his servant also. So Canaan is going to be a servant of both of the boys. Then we read the blessing that Noah gave towards Shem. He said this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And then in the next verse, you have to understand your English language and also a little bit of the Hebrew language, which none of us know, but we can gather by study as to who it's talking about there when it says, let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Now we know from our English language that when a certain person or thing is identified as the subject of a sentence and it continues on using the word and, that the and no other subject is identified, what is the subject of the second part that comes after the word and? It's the subject that began the sentence. And the same is true in Hebrew. So in this instance, in verse 27, it says, May God enlarge Japheth, and may God dwell in the tents of Shem, is the meaning of the sentence. So what do we have here in the blessing that Noah gave upon his oldest son, Shem? It is the blessing that I want us to take a few more minutes to examine because it points to Jesus. And let me explain for you how it does that. You will recall in the Garden in Eden when God created all things and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, where was God? He came down to dwell with them. He walked in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he dwelled with them on earth. And they fellowshiped together. And that continued until Adam and Eve yielded to the temptation of the serpent. And they sinned. And as the punishment, as part of the punishment, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he also withdrew his dwelling with them. He didn't dwell with them anymore. They lost that fellowship with God, the Creator. We see in this blessing that Noah gave to Shem his son the beginning of the restoration of God's plan that he started in the Garden of Eden. The fact that Adam and Eve sinned did not mean that God had to now change his plan God still wanted to dwell on earth with his creation. He would have to take steps to do that. The scriptures describe those steps to us. But we know that God wanted to reestablish fellowship with his creation. And when Noah blessed Shem and said that God would dwell with him. It is the first instance after the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, indicating that God would return and reestablish dwelling on the earth with his creation. Notice who took the initiative. God did. 
God took the initiative in the garden in Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, he knew. He came down as previously to walk in the garden with them. And Noah, where are you? Excuse me, Adam, where are you? Where are you? They ran and hid. And God pursued and pursued and pursued until he came to Adam and to Eve. So who pursued whom? God pursued Adam and Eve. And here again we see stated in the blessing that Noah gave to his son Shem that God would come and dwell with him. Showing a reestablishment of God's plan and purpose for his creation as well as God's grace and his mercy and his love, his compassion for people like you and like me. To think that people like us who have rebelled against God that he would ever want to spend time with us. I mean, how often do you want to spend time with someone who has shown that they don't like you, let alone hate you, and tell malicious stories about you falsely? Do you want to spend time with them? No, we don't. We avoid them. But God shows His grace and His mercy, seeking out His creation, wanting to dwell with them. Now, after this instance, we know in Scripture that God began to progressively reveal how he would resume dwelling with his people on earth. We find, for example, when he described to the children of Israel on their way out of Egypt to the promised land, he said, I want you to build a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, I want you to make a special room that is private for me. Because I will come down and I will dwell with you there. So here's the temple and the tabernacle to begin with that they first built. And later they built the temple. David did. His son, David, uh, David's son Solomon, built the temple in Jerusalem that replaced the portable tent. And there was the special room in the temple as well. God came down and dwelled there with his people. We also know from reading scripture, however, that the children of Israel continued to sin and to sin so grievously that God once again removed himself. He left the temple and no longer dwelled with them. Four hundred years passed until we come to the record that begins in Matthew chapter 1. The story of the birth of Christ. And the scriptures tell us that this one who was in the beginning with God, we find it recorded in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and by him all things consist. Who is that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. 
And we know that because as we read down through that first chapter of John, we come ultimately to verse number 14. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, God by nature, took upon Himself human flesh like you and like me, came upon the earth that He might dwell with us. Ultimately, He died on the cross to pay the penalty of the sin for people like you and like me. Because you see, our sin stood as a barrier between God and us. He could come down, but that true fellowship, that true reuniting of fellowship between God's creation and God couldn't occur because of sin. That's what occurred in the garden, remember? And that's what caused God to leave the temple and depart for 400 years with sin. And our sin prevents us from enjoying the fellowship that God has provided for people like you and me. The only way that could be taken care of is by Christ dying on the cross. And when he did that, he paid the penalty that our sin deserves and removed the barrier so that now we could be reconciled to God. And in the process of being reconciled to God, He comes to dwell within us. Do you see the beginning and the progression now to the fulfillment in Christ? And the scriptures tell us that all who come to Christ, he will accept. And when you come to Christ in faith and trust upon him and what he has done to remove the barrier that exists between you and God and you trust him, he comes to live and to dwell within you. we find the first illustration of that beginning after the sin of Adam and Eve in Noah's blessing upon his son Shem. God will come and dwell in your tents. So that Shem experienced a fellowship with God because he honored his father and thus inherited God's blessing. Now there's one other way that this picture gives to us a description, an early description of ultimately Christ who came. Remember, we looked last week at the occasion when Adam and Eve did sin in the garden, and God came to them and he cursed the serpent And in cursing the serpent, what did he say? What did he promise? The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman. Shem is the seed 
of the woman. He's the seed of Noah, who is the seed of Seth, who is the seed of Adam and Eve. You follow the lineage of Shem and you come to Abraham. God called out Abraham to be the beginning, the father of many nations and to be the father of the peculiar people through whom God would reveal his ultimate provision of Christ. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And here we see the progression of this promise coming through into the life of Shem, the son of Noah. How does that correlate to you and to me? It correlates in this fashion. When Adam and Eve sinned, since they began humanity, their sin came upon you and me. We inherited their sinful nature. We read in the book of Genesis, it says that when Adam and Eve joined together and they had that intimacy of a sexual union, it says they bore a son, Seth, in their image. He bore their sinful nature. And that sinful nature has progressed down through eternities into each one of our lives. Every one of us have inherited that same sinful nature that came upon Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. We experienced the same separation from God that they did. We need something that will reunite us back together with God. We can't do it on our own. What we provide doesn't satisfy God. The very best that we can provide, the scriptures tell us, is nothing more than a filthy rag. And you know the value of a filthy rag. We throw them out. We need a Savior. We need someone to bridge the gap. God promised it. I will send you someone who will crush the head of the serpent. And then he began to reveal more about this champion. And we see here from the example of the life of of Shem that this one who would come would dwell with us. And as we progress through scripture, we see that ultimately we find it fulfilled in Christ. And when Christ fulfilled it, he made it possible for people like you and like me to be reconciled back to God that he might dwell with us. It describes for us God's provision for people like you And like me, we need a Savior. God provided one. And that Savior calls out to people like you and like me, Trust me. Come unto me, he says. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, 
and are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he said. Whosoever believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I will come and take up residence within him. Well, what can we conclude? And how can the Holy Spirit apply these truths to our individual lives? Because of what we see in the blessing of Noah upon his son Shem, how it provides for us an initial picture of God's provision for people like you and like me, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, we must answer the call of Christ and come to Him. Trust Him. Cast upon Him our cares and our future and trust that what He accomplished on the cross on behalf of sinners like you and like me, He did it for you. Not only you would say He did it for me. You would personalize it and say, I trust, Lord Jesus, that what you did then, you did it for me. And I trust you. And I call upon you and I come to you to experience what you promised you would do. You would come and dwell within me. Have you done that? Perhaps you have done that then you know the joy and the experience of God fellowshipping and dwelling with you. If you have not done that, then you are estranged from God. You may know things about God. You may even believe many things about God. But you don't know God. And God does not dwell within you like he has made provision for you. Come to him today. Trust him today. Call upon him and trust him to provide for you that which he promised he would do. And experience the reality of God dwelling with you and in you through His presence by the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture has promised us. And there will come a day in the future when God will bring an end to all things. And guess what will descend out of heaven? A place where God dwells. And who will abide in that presence with God? Those who have come to Christ and trusted him he will usher them into the place that he has prepared for them I pray that the spirit of God will take these pictures that we've examined from the life of Noah and his sons as to its initial description of his provision for us ultimately fulfilled in Christ And that he will bring forth from you trust, increased trust, perhaps initial trust, and experience his dwelling presence within you.
Let's close with prayer.